The message, uh, we don't have a fun um, graphic to go with this because I was negligent in, in getting any notes out. Uh, but it's when the training wheels come off. It's not when the training wheels fall off. It's when the training wheels come off. It's intentional. It's a decision. And, uh, and I, I feel like Greg has already kind of preached the um, response. Because when the training wheels come off of your bike, it's an act of faith. You have to trust the preparation. You have to trust who's helping you. You have to trust that you have the balance to do it. We're currently a training wheels come off household right now. As our son is venturing through that very bravely. And, and our son is naturally a responsible, cautious child. There's usually two, two kit kinds of ch- children that learn to ride their bike. There are those that get on not knowing how to do it, not caring how to do it, and not caring what happens if they don't know how to do it. If that made any sense. And then there's the other kind of child who knows how to do it, is worried they don't know how to do it, is worried what will happen when they don't know how to do it, and yet still knows how to do it. And so Sam being the eldest, the, the responsible, conscientious child, he's far more conscientious than an eight-year-old should be. He's going to be eight next weekend. And so you can high-five him this weekend if you like. Hey? I'm not blessing him. He's not a pastor's kid anymore, so I have to still. But we're at training wheels home. And training wheels are tricky. Because it doesn't matter how well you know how to do it. It doesn't matter how bad you want to do it. When the training wheels come off, there are moments of uneasiness that will test each person as they try to learn it. That's just how it goes. Some kids don't care about how it feels and some kids really care about how it feels. But it's a, it's a tricky thing. It's an unsettling thing. And here's the worst part about it. When the shaking and uneasiness comes... It doesn't matter who told you what before it or how many times you've done it before. All of that goes out the window when the wheels start to shake and your hands feel unsteady and every part of your brain says, this is dangerous and the concrete's going to wreck my knees. And and that's what I want to preach about today. Because we never grow out of that uneasiness. And life has a very effective way when it gets difficult to cause us to forget every bit of bedrock we knew before it. It doesn't matter how much you know this. It doesn't matter how much God has used you. How you felt the Spirit flow through you and do things and say things that you had no idea would even be helpful. It doesn't matter. 
if you've seen amazing miracles, there is that moment of uneasiness when life starts to black all that stuff out. Is this just theory? Think about a hard time in your life. As we go to 1 Kings 19. Think about a hard time in your life and what that's done to your conscious mind. What's that, what has that done to the bedrock of your faith, your foundations? A death, a financial crisis... COVID. COVID made people crazy. Good Christians straight up crazy. You tell me if I'm not right in that after the service. But it messed everybody up. That in itself tells us when crisis happens, it, it, it screws with our head. It messes with us. The things that we hold dear... The things that we know are all under question and doubt. And what do we do when that happens? I've just entered a huge season of doubt, of concern. And I've said it before. I went into the workforce, if none of you guys know, I went into the workforce with like a banner and a sword, and I wasn't going to quit till everyone was slain. And I didn't expect any opposition. <laughs> like nothing, I just thought, they're going to let me roll right in there and take over the place. And it's funny. It, that's not how it went, <laughs> right? The world had different plans. The enemy had different plans. And most of my emotions and thought process were doubt, anxiety, and fear as I went in there. A far cry from guns blazing, taking no prisoners, going to raise my flag. A far cry from that. Because life comes at us and it can really affect our faith. I want to look at three passages. Now, if you don't like the passages I picked, the Bible is chocked full of this exact same thing. When godly men and women get, get blinded by doubt and worry and crisis and fear, and they lose it, then they've got to find it again. They've got to go back to it. The first one is this from 1 Kings 17 to 19. Now, I'm not going to read all that. That's a lot. It is a precious, precious pa uh, passage. But I just want to read kind of the tipping point for Elijah. Elijah, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, had a miraculous, beautiful ministry, was, was a warrior, was a fighter, was fierce for the Lord. He had a sharp prophetic mind and boldness to speak it to kings, to scary kings. He lived with scary kings. Well, Ahab was a little spineless, but his wife was scary. 
1 Kings 19, 1-4 When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, his scary king, uh, queen, everything Elijah had done. And I'll get into everything Elijah had done yet. Including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. All right, I'm going to stop right there. In 1 Kings, just before this, just before I read the final bit of this, Elijah had been sustained by ravens in chapter 17. Ravens, a despicable bird, fed him. He went to a widow's house. I hope this, I think this is in order. He went to a widow's house, demanded that she feed him, not knowing that her son and her were about to eat their last meal because they had no more provisions because the rain wasn't falling. And he said, no, 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 you got to feed me first. God's, God's not going to let your cupboards go empty. They were about to eat their last meal. And God fed them for many days. Not two of them, he fed three of them for many days. And Elijah said, you're not going to run out of goods until the rains come back. That's already crazy. What's more is, and I wanted to maybe talk about this woman, but I'm going to stick with Elijah because you can hear your story with the woman as well. The woman whose son she was trying to save by this miraculous food, kept coming in. The son got sick and was on his deathbed. And even after the miraculous feeding, she said, Why have you come here and cursed my home? Do you see that little case study of what crisis does? This family was eating on God's dime for many days. And then the son gets sick and it all goes, it's gone. It's doubt, it's worry, it's God has let me down. I'm cursed. I'm God's enemy. What have I done that God would be so mean to me? That's what crisis does. That's what doubt does. That's what weary does. It makes us blind. It makes us crazy. And Elijah, being amazing, of course, pleads to the Lord and the child is saved. It's interesting. The woman says, now I really know you're a prophet. That whole amazing food thing was great, but now I, now I really know you're awesome. Right? You see that in the Israelites. How many miracles did the Israelites see? But hunger is a convincing, convincing argument. All that grumbling and rumbling. It's convincing. So then Elijah takes on 450 prophets of Baal, the leading religion of the time. Thank you, evil kings of Israel. But they, this was the leading religion. These were the top spiritual leaders 
Now that so many of the prophets have been killed in Israel. So Elijah takes on 450 and he says, and you guys know this story. Let's both make an offering. Let's both cry out to God and let's see what he does. Right? He gives the, he gives the prophets of Baal like the whole day. Crying, screaming, cutting, yelling, pleading. And Elijah pokes a little bit here and there. The Bible has a sense of humor. He has some solid burns in there for them. He does. And he's got no respect for Baal at all. And he prays and, and God consumes his offering. It even takes all the water that he poured on the... Like, that's, that's a preposterous move that Elijah would make. How much confidence and boldness do you need to have? He then thought, I'm going to go, I'm going to kill all 450 of these prophets. It doesn't actually say if he got helpers to do it or if he just went and slayed 450 people. It's crazy. But, but think about that. That was just before this. He just lived in the most spiritual existence. Seeing God in real time. And a woman who isn't even near him at the time says, I'm, I'm going to come kill you for, for killing. Even the math of that, he kills 450 prophets, but one woman, uh-uh, that's going to mess my faith up. Right? He was messed up. Like, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. So maybe his servant helped with some of the slaying as well. But still, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. <laughs> I have had enough, Lord. Like, it, it makes no sense. Like, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. You don't have to believe me. This is true. Crisis makes us crazy. Doubt makes us crazy. Doubt makes us forget everything God has done. There's proof. Maybe you don't believe your own experience, which you have. Lots of them. Maybe you don't believe my experience. I'm only here every now and then, so whatever. Like, but Elijah, he didn't even have to die. God just took him up. But before then, look at the crisis here. God, just kill me. It's all over. That woman's going to get me. She's just crazy and mean. Like, it makes no sense. But I want to look at God's prescription. And you know this passage 2 and 19. What does God do? He, first of all, He feeds them. He sends an angel this time. Then He allows them to walk 
40 days onto a mountain. Doesn't say anything more about food or like leftovers from what the angel gave him. 40 days. Then he goes into a mountain and says, get ready, I'm going to come before you. And he's not in the earthquake. He's not in the wind. He's not in the storm. He's in the quiet. You ever had God whisper to your heart? One whisper from God takes the blinders off. Let me tell you guys. Let me tell you guys. Doesn't matter how many bloated words come from the front here. I say that on purposely so. One word to your heart. God can change everything. You believe that? You believe God speaks to you? You know, you can have a word from God today. Today. Because that's what God does. You don't twist His arm. I don't twist His arm. We don't force Him. God is a, He's a chatty God. And He wants to speak to you today. He wants to speak to the doubt today. When the worship team comes back up and keeps preaching my message better than I am, God wants to speak to you today. So get ready. That's what God does. One word to your heart will change everything. Especially if you've never heard one word yet. God told me to shut up once. It was the best thing I ever heard. One word. All right. There's just a million of these in the Bible. Okay, so if you're not convinced by Elijah, maybe you're convinced by John the Baptist. John the Baptist, wow. Like, wow. That guy had a ministry. That guy knew the Lord. He was a herald. He let it all go for God's choice in his life. He had one message, God's message. He had one life, God's message. Lived in the desert for goodness sakes. Matthew 11. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. Now, John went to prison because he was critical of Herod. And when there's a Herod around, don't be critical. They don't have thick skin for it. They overreact, even if they did take their brother's wife as their own. And so, John, being a straight shooter like the definition of straight shooter, behold, it's the Lamb of God, said, this is very wrong what you're doing. Now, they explain that further, Matthew 14, but that's kind of the Coles notes, Matthew 11. Now, when John heard in prison, he'd been there about 
between one and two years. So long enough. About the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And a more clearer description of blessed is one who is not offended by me is, blessed is the one who is not offended when I don't add up to their version of who I should be. I hope this is going to poke some people. Here's a big crisis. When God isn't who we expect Him to be. My Savior would never, ever allow this. My Messiah would never let that happen. How could I have that child suffer so badly? How could I lose that position? How could I be under constant spiritual attack? This is not what I signed up for. I asked for three wishes when I rubbed that lantern. And Jesus the genie has given me none. That's a big one. God's not who I thought He was. Some say, well, I think John was asking a tricky question so that his disciples would get this answered because maybe they were struggling. It's possible. I wouldn't say it's highly possible. I wouldn't say it's highly possible. You can ask John, you know, whenever it's your time. But give it a thousand years once you get up off the floor. Maybe more. John in his prison, hearing the accounts of Jesus. This is John the Baptist. Was shaken by what he heard and saw. Because many Israelites weren't happy that Jesus wasn't taking names and busting Romans up. And leading the conquest to get their nation back. Jesus wasn't the military leader they wanted. He was too busy being meek and humble and wonderful. And so much stronger than they thought. But when Jesus doesn't add up in our own heart, when He doesn't fulfill our expectations that we put on Him, when He doesn't come through the way that we had planned it, when he doesn't know the invisible plan before we know the invisible plan that we never said to him or that we even knew needed to happen, it crushes our faith in him. And that one can be nearly impossible from coming back. Nearly. You're never going to be too far gone. But take it seriously and take account. Where has Jesus let Sorry, let you down. And don't let me minimalize that when I air quote it. Ultimately, theologically, he's never let us down. 
but our experiences are so crushing. Maybe a favorite pastor of yours just up and left. And that just... I don't know, was lightness okay there? I don't know. (laughs) Take account and take stock. Like Elijah, fear can grip us. People can grip us. Experiences can grip us. Like John, we clearly see that, that if Jesus isn't filling what we think he should be, it really hurts us. But the prescription is here again. Jesus is saying, if you're struggling with your faith in me today, take stock and take account to the good things I'm doing around you. Right? Being present in your situation. Breathe. Aaron Rodgers again this week. If you know who Aaron Rodgers, whatever. He's a quarterback. The fans always get upset with him because they always think his team's going to be bad. And he always tells them every year, take a breath, everybody. It's not even the preseason. Just relax. Okay. And so Jesus is saying to John, okay, let's get present here. Take a breath. Feel your feet on the, on the ground. Unfortunately, it's a jail, but I get it, John. Feel yourself sitting on the bench or probably lying down. Feel the chains and listen to the account of me and what I'm doing. I'm healing. I'm touching. I'm preaching. I'm Messiahing in your presence. Let's let that stuff go for a minute. Let's let the the disappointment go for a minute and let's take stock of the good things I'm doing around you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're not in Elijah's camp, you're in John's camp. And again, when the band gets up and keeps preaching better than I'm preaching right now, you can come up here. You want to know a scary prayer? God, would you show me where you're at work in my life right now? Oh, That's a scary one. And it'll hit you right here. God, remind me. I can't see you right now. I don't know where you're at work. God can do that today. Today. Now. God can't control himself when we show faith and humility. He can't control himself. It's like a grandparent getting their kids over for a sleepover. They can't control themselves. Bedtime, gone. Candy's gone. Pizza pops is gone. I can't control myself. I'm not even going to try. When we operate with faith and humility, when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he didn't even try and control himself. That's a good place to be. One more. Doubting Thomas. You've got to be really doubting to get the name Doubting Thomas. 
Like when that becomes part of your name. This is from John 20, 24. I don't know if you can see it. When we finally get those uh, screens in the back, that's going to be great. And, and I'm getting my preaching out of the way before you get the screens in the back, so you're welcome, people in the back. You don't have to see me while you hear me. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. This is after Jesus had risen. And he was starting to make these spontaneous, I'm here, visits to people, really messed them up in a good way. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas was privy to everything else all the other disciples were. Minus like the transfiguration where only three were up. And a few other occasions. But he would have been in the boats. He would have been in the waves. He would have been in the feeding of the 5,000. The 4,000. He would have been in all of those miracles. He would have been at the Sermon on the Mount. He would have seen the healings. He would have seen the blind. He would have seen the hungry. He would have seen the lame. He would have seen all of that. He would have heard Jesus saying. This is what I have to do. He was privy to all of that. And the Bible doesn't say why he's refusing to believe. We all have our reasons why we refuse to believe, do we not? Again, there could be a vein of disappointment here. A vein of Jesus couldn't have died. My whole life was rooted in that. And when he died, I'm lost with him. Like a lot of the disciples felt. Now what? Now what do we do? Perhaps death was just too final for Thomas. You go to funerals and even godly Christian, like really magnificent funerals that are spirit-led and that are full of faith are so permanent in some of the things the closing of the casket, the wheeling of the casket out, the putting it into the ground, these things are, are, are shocking to our systems. And if we don't know Jesus, these things are, they, they, they kill parts of us. It's so permanent. Even as a believer, the, the, the colors of permanency and tragic and Loss are so great. And you have, to, you have to keep looking to Christ in all of those things. But Thomas just couldn't let himself believe. Perhaps we have a no-go zone in our own life. I've had many no-go zones in my life, being, um, you know, one of the what? 85% of wounded people who go through life. Freedom session? Come on. We're not 85% yet. 
And I know 85% of us carrying around a deep wound, but whatever. But that, that creates places in our heart we won't, we won't go. We won't let Jesus go. Unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That can be called a stronghold when we make a vow to ourselves, when we say, right, shout out to Freedom Session again, but if we make a vow to ourselves, uh, it becomes a rule we live by. And if we make an unhealthy vow to ourselves, it becomes a very unhealthy rule we live by. If you don't believe me, just look into your own heart. You'll see it's, oh, that's what that is. How's that working out? A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So, so apparently Thomas kind of came and went a little bit, because they're, they're really making it known that the disciples were there, and yes, Thomas was also there. He did miss... Jesus the first time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas must have felt a little silly. But he said, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Best are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is always pointing to the greater thing. And the remedy for us is here. This is really the remedy of any doubt we face. We need to find the resurrected Christ in our doubts. Jesus is always willing to be the object lesson in our class of doubt and regret and fear. Jesus is always willing again to say, look at my hands. That was for you. I bear these scars Gratefully. These scars bring me more glory. And they're here for you to see. They're here for you to experience. Because life is hard. And I know reminders need to be equally hard to get through. The prescription for every doubt and failure we have is to find the risen Jesus full of grace and love, full of so much power, so much compassion, ready to show you all over again. One word is really powerful. One touch. Oh boy. And get that touch today. Get that touch every Sunday. The band is going to come up now. 
and keep preaching this message. God's preaching to us all day. God knows where we have a hard time believing in Him. He knows where our doubts have clouded our mind and our judgment, where it leaves us fumbling around in the dark. And He wants to meet with us today. I believe in faith. As I've already said, when we come in humility, when we come in even a weak bit of faith, God can't control His generosity. Because ultimately, more than signs, miracles, blessings, or any other thing God can give you, He wants to make Himself known to you in your situation today. That is ultimately what God is getting at. That is ultimately what the Spirit is trying to get at in your life. And the Spirit is alive and well here. Can we testify to that? The Spirit's job is not to amaze you. It's to give you a clear understanding and experience of a very real God in a very real situation. He wants to do that for you today. If you want that today, take the opportunity. When the altar opens, God's not even going to wait till you get here, probably. God wants to make Himself known to your situation. Let's pray together. Let's stand. Let's get ready. Let's put ourselves in a position to receive. God, we know that you're present. We know that you're here. We don't have to worry what your agenda is today. Your agenda is to make yourself known to your people. You paid a hefty price. That should convince us. We can look back in our lives. We can look at the lives of other people. We can experience you in a real way. Would you build our faith? This is a faith struggle. But you want to build our faith by making yourself known. We can be bulletproof in our life if our level of faith, even against all feelings that may come, all mindsets that may come, Lord, I pray against the destructive nature of feelings and the destructive nature of strongholds and lies that we believe that are past has taught us that our failures and negative experiences have taught us they've taught us not to trust not to believe good things will happen not to believe we can overcome but to doubt and to worry and to fear and to believe we have to do all of it on our own these are lies and they keep us from falling at your feet and they keep you by growing they keep you from growing us as you touch us in our real hurts and fears and doubts, the holes that we're in. God, would you give us just enough faith to come, just enough faith to respond as you would lead us to, that you're going to come through. This is your mission. Would you give us faith to see that? Your very mission this very day for everyone who is here, 
is that we would encounter you in a new and fresh way that would keep us from the next failure, the next crisis. We could lean on it. We could look back to it. It would give us the strength to power through. I don't feel good enough, but look what God just did. We do that enough and our steps become strong. We begin to walk in the darkness by faith. Knowing that our feelings don't need to tell us we're okay. Our thoughts don't need to remind us that it's going to work out. We know, we know Christ. He's never failed me yet. 